All right, welcome in. Uh, this is another episode of the Windmill Dynasty Hockey Podcast, and today I will be doing a special episode for new members of Dynasty League 33. Uh, this is an offshoot of the first startup I did last year, Dynasty League 32. I wish I could come up with a better name for it, but frankly, I, the concept comes from Campus to Canton. This is a fantasy football league that is run with a very similar concept to what we're doing here, but it's with NCAA football players and NFL football players. So it's different sport, but pretty similar concept. You got players from the time they're in campus to the time they go to Canton. So let's get started with the overall basics of the league. Uh, right now, the league buy-in is to be determined. However, um, it looks like the general sentiment is that we want it to be around $50 for the season. Uh, the league buy-in only goes toward prizes. I should definitely specify that because, or uh, be specific about that because there is some confusion about league fees and league buy-in and how that goes towards the pot and where does the money go. The league buy-in, if, if everyone is paying $50, you'll have $1,600 total in prizes. Uh, the way that I have prizes set up in the league that I run currently, uh, we give the Stanley Cup winner $900. The Stanley Cup runner-up gets $100. The NHL regular season winner gets $100. Uh, NHL regular season division winners get $25. The Prospect League winner gets 275 The Prospect League runner-up and Prospect League regular season winners both get $50. And the team that has the highest score after the World Junior, um, or the, the team that has the highest score for the two weeks of the World Junior Hockey Tournament gets a $25 cash prize. So um, the buy-in money, all $50 of your buy-in money or 100 or 75 or whatever we end up choosing, that will go towards, all go towards prizes none of your league buy-in money goes anywhere other than the league prizes. The league fees. Um, if you are listening to this and you are a part of the league, you probably understand why there is a league fee or you have a generally a good idea of why there is a stat tracking fee. Stat tracking prospects takes time. It's not, it's not hard and it's not something that like anyone can realistically do it, but uh, it does take time. It does take patience and not everyone has the time to, to spend, you know, three, four hours on a Sunday checking box scores from, you know, seven or eight different junior leagues or pro leagues across the world. It is most definitely a, it's something I love to do. And the only reason that this is, is, is going to happen is because I love to do this. If I didn't, it wouldn't be happening. So the $50 stat tracking fee that covers the entire season um, that would be paid either to my PayPal or just like an, uh, a regular e-transfer. I'm not going to ta start asking people for money right away. It's going to, you know, we got to get the league filled up first. I want people to pay the buy-in before the stat tracking fee, preferably, because that is what is more important. Um, but yeah, the, the $50 stat tracking fee will definitely be a thing. Uh, there's There has to be some compensation for the, the massive amount of time I will be spending running this league. And if you think about it broken into matchups, it's it's about $2.38 per matchup. Uh, we do start the Prospect League in September. Uh, the first matchup starts Monday, September 18th. So you're getting an extra three weeks uh, of the season. You're, you're starting fantasy hockey three weeks before anyone else in the world is. And I think that that's something that is reflected in the stat tracking fee. Uh, there will also be a $5 fee for Fantrax Premium League. That's pretty standard. Uh, any league that usually has more than 12 or 16 teams, you have to pay a, a larger fee for it. So that that you'll pay directly to Fantrax. Um, that doesn't go towards me. Uh, so other than that, there's pr that's pretty much covers everything for fees. If people do have questions, you can always message me or you can email me. I'm, I'm usually pretty quick to respond. The startup drafts, this is where things will be a little bit confusing. Uh, not everyone has been in a league where you draft separately. The reason we do this is because I want to avoid teams tanking their, their squad right off the bat. And I also want to avoid having a 50 round draft where you're drafting NHL players with prospects. It gets really messy. And I'd like to avoid certain teams having extra NHL players or having not enough prospects. Doing it separately is one way to guarantee that everyone finishes drafts with full rosters. Uh, in terms of how the draft order will be determined, the way I did it for my last league was I went on to NHL 22. I can do NHL 23 this time. doesn't really matter. Uh, I just use the video game. I start a 32-team dynasty league. 
GM mode or whatever. Same thing that pretty much we're doing here. And I just do a fantasy draft. Whatever order it spits out is the order we use for the draft. If you get the number one overall pick in the NHL draft, you get the number 32 pick in the prospect league draft. This is because you obviously don't want someone starting out with Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard. That would be ridiculous and completely unfair. So if you end up with the number one prospect pick, you end up with the number 32 NHL pick. And it goes descending like a snake from there. So if you have 16, you'll have 16 in both leagues. Um, this worked pretty well for my for my league last year. It's, it's probably the best way to, to split things up. Um, in terms of how do we split players from, from one draft to the other, the cutoff line for the prospect league draft is nine NHL games. So any... Any professional hockey player who has played 10 NHL games in their career would be in the NHL draft and not eligible to be selected in the prospect draft. That being said, there's going to be a fair amount of players who are taken in the prospect draft that will be called up immediately to the NHL team. And there's going to be a fair amount of NHL players that are drafted that will get demoted or released once the season starts. That is to be expected. It does mean that some some of you will end up drafting 25 or 26 NHL players because you'll get, you know, if, if you nail all your NHL picks and they're all NHL players and then you get a few immediate impact rookies, you will have an excess, which means you have to make roster decisions. You can't have more than 23 players on your roster at any given time. So with that being said, uh, with covering the prospect league cutoff, um, it's to be expected that you will see some prospects taken in the NHL draft. Um, it's, it's simply because Fantrax will have the entire database and I don't for the league last year, I ended up taking out 500 players to make sure that they wouldn't be drafted in the wrong draft. That caused more problems than it solved uh, because I had to go back afterwards and find all the players that I had edited and re-edit their positions so that they would show up in the show up in the database. This is not the best way to deal with this. So I think if a team takes a, a prospect during the NHL draft, I'll just quickly undo it and. I'll give them a message and say, hey, can you redo your pick quickly? Um, it's it's not going to be perfect. There will be some, some you know, there's going to be some holdups. There's going to be some things that happen that aren't 100% ideal. I always, the one thing I strive for is that I don't want to screw teams over in startup drafts. I don't want teams being auto-picked. I don't want, you know, if you end up drafting a prospect because they, they played 10 games and you weren't 100% sure of the cutoff or you, you forgot about the cutoff, it's okay. I'm not going to penalize teams for it. Um, at the end of the day, I, I plan on running this league for a very long time and the startup draft is a, it's a big part, but it's a small part of the, the grand scheme of the league. So, uh, I try to be lenient when it comes to drafting and, you know, if teams take too long, another thing to consider, we've got people in, I know we've got a guy, we've, we've got a few Eastern Europeans, um, there are people all over the world in this league. And that is something that has to be considered when you're dealing with multiple time zones. So everyone will have one hour on the clock for both league drafts. Uh, the prospect league draft is hosted on a Google spreadsheet. This might be a first for many of you. Um, I can understand why a lot of you will think, how in the world is this going to work? It, it's going to work. I've done it before. It, it is, it's not ideal. I wish I could do it in a better way. And I tried to do it in a better way last year. I actually tried to have two separate fan tracks leagues, but um, it, it turned out to be a, a lost cause. So it turns out Google Spreadsheets is the easiest way to do the separate draft. Um, for the prospect league draft, because it's hosted on a spreadsheet, the one hour time limit is going to be, it's going to be very uh, lightly enforced. So if you are asleep, it's three in the morning where you were asleep and it's, you know, seven in the afternoon for us, that, that probably makes no sense for time zones, but you get the concept. If, if, if you're in a place of the world where you are, you should be asleep, I'm not going to force you to pick while you're asleep and the clock is running. We, we should have enough time. We have about a month until the prospect league season starts. So it's, it's probably enough time to get 23 rounds done. Uh, so please don't panic or please don't, um, yeah, just don't panic if you're, you know, if you live somewhere that isn't North America, we can always accommodate you. Uh, one thing we can do to accommodate teams is if you give me a list of the top prospects that you want uh, at the start of the day, when, when it gets to your pick, 
I'll just take the top prospect from that list. I was planning on not partaking in this league. I will be a, an assistant GM for uh, for Montreal. However, I have my goal is to be as lightly involved in the in in his team as possible. I'm just there to more or less be a guide. So don't feel don't uh, don't be worried about sending me like a draft list of players. I'm not going to be sharing that with other people. I won't use that against you. Um, my goal in this is to be 100% objective and just I just want to be a commissioner. Uh, my goal is to grow the league and to grow the format, and this is the best way to do it. Uh, one of the big things to cover, uh, the the league, uh, sorry, the, the draft starts every single day at 10 a.m. Eastern, and it will pause every single day at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, while the clock is paused, you are not required to pick. You don't, there's no, there's no incentive really. If you want, you can hold that pick as long as you want. You can do as much research as you want. You can try to trade the pick if you want to. Um, that's something a lot of teams do while the clock is sleeping because they have much, much more time to, to facilitate a trade. With that being said, any trades involving startup draft picks must have an equal amount of picks coming back or coming and going. So if you're trading NHL picks for NHL picks, you have to trade, if you're trading two NHL picks, you have to be receiving two NHL picks. If you're trading one NHL pick and two prospect picks, you have to receive one NHL pick and two prospect picks. Doesn't matter what those picks are. If you can negotiate a good deal, do it. But you have to be getting equal picks coming and going in each league. My goal is I want everyone finishing with 23 NHL draft picks and 23 prospect draft picks. Where those players go after the drafts, that's to be determined. Um, many of you will end up drafting a lot of impact prospects and some of you will end up getting less. That's just the way these things go. Nobody really knows who is going to be playing in the NHL up until a few days before the season begins. So, uh, yes, please make sure when you are trading draft picks that you have equal picks going back and forth. Uh, so with roster rules, you can have 23 mass, uh, 23 is the max you can have on an NHL roster at any given time. The minimum is 20. I would rather teams not tank by just not having enough players. That's I'm actually just entirely against tanking in general with these leagues. Uh, it's If you want to have a really bad team, if you want to build a really bad team, you can do that as long as they're salary cap compliant and as long as, you know, you're, you're still trying to rebuild. I mean, I, I don't know why you'd be in a league if you're not trying to rebuild with if you have a bad team. But that's that's another that's another topic. But uh, so for roster rules, yeah, if you, I would like it so that everyone has at least 20 active healthy bodies on their NHL roster at any given time. AHL players are not allowed on NHL rosters. Uh, I'm giving teams 10 IR spots total. Uh, the IR does not count towards the salary cap. So anytime a player gets injured, you throw them on the IR, you suddenly will have a little bit more salary cap. This works well if you've got, you know, a long-term injury and you need to make a trade to, you know, fill in the spot that you have for the injured guy. 10 IR spots definitely helps cover all that. Uh, you can put injured prospects in the IR. I'm not going to stop people from doing that. All I ask is that they actually have to be injured. You can't just throw healthy prospects in the, in the IR so you can pick up extra players. Um, let's keep going here. NHL teams will be given a maximum of 30 minor spots. These spots can only be taken by players with NHL affiliation. Uh, so as long as a player has signed an ELC, which is an entry-level contract, they can have, uh, as long as they have a contract with an AHL team, doesn't have to be a, an NHL contract, it can be an AHL contract, or they have NHL draft rights. So that means they can be a player that's been drafted but hasn't yet signed their entry-level deal. They just have to have some form of NHL affiliation to be in the prospect league or to be in the minors. I will not allow unaffiliated players. I did that last year, and it became a bit of a mess when teams started picking up um, players like Josh Nadeau, who he's not a bad prospect. He actually, I thought he could have been drafted last year. His brother Bradley was a, a first-round pick of Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. And um, yeah, so Josh Nadeau was a great player, put up incredible numbers in the BCHL, but was essentially a ringer since he didn't have any NHL affiliation. We won't be allowing that for this season. So if you don't have, you know, if there's no NHL affiliation, you can't pick them up. Anyone, so uh, for, where are we now? NHL teams must have a minimum of, 
23 players in the minors at all times. Uh, at least 15 of those players must be under the age of 25 and eligible to collect points in the Prospects League. Uh, I'm trying to avoid teams just having a glut of like AHL call-up type players available. Not that you can't have six or seven or eight of those. Like If you want to have a bunch of AHL call-up type players, that's fine. But I still want people to at least try to compete in the Prospects League. I had a fair amount of teams not even set lineups last year, and I'm glad we did replace those teams in my other league because my goal is to have a full league that at least tries in both sides. You don't have to be actively trying to compete in both leagues, but I want you to at least set lineups in both leagues, especially if you're going to be paying $50 for a stat tracking fee. It's You should be setting lineups. So call-ups and send-downs, uh, this, is an, this is a form, or sorry, this is a part of the league that uh, I'm still working on perfecting these rules. They're somewhat new to the format that I'm working on here. And um, so we'll go through them here uh, on the podcast. If a player in the minors is called up to the NHL, GMs have one week to either uh, to either call up the player, trade them, or drop them to free agency. If the player is sent back down during that time, then no further roster moves are necessary. Uh, if a player in the NHL is sent down to the minors, GMs must demote this player to the minors. If they do not have space in their minors, they have three days to make space for the player. If not, the player must be traded or released to free agency. NHL players with a cap hit higher than 1 million who are sent down to the minors. These players' cap hits do not count, or so they still count against a team's salary cap. Should a team choose to instead buy out one of these players, the standard buyout rules will apply. So to sum all that up, uh, if you have, so let's say Owen Beck from last year, he got a one-game emergency call-up for the Montreal Canadiens. If you had a full 23-man roster, you were you were trying to compete, and then you had Owen Beck called up, and you're like, oh, I don't have room for Owen Beck, and it's really just a one-game emergency call-up, do I have to bring him up? The answer is no. Um, you will be given one week to make a decision on what you're going to do with the extra spot that you have currently, the extra NHL player you have in the minors. Um, the point of this is to... It's 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 to make it so that teams don't have to drop uh, fringe AHL NHL players if they're constantly being called up and sent down. It's not going to be one of those things where oh I have to drop a guy just because you know this guy got called up or I have to call this guy up and drop someone just because you know I, I have too many spots now. It's I want to give teams some flexibility in how they manage their roster. Uh, I don't want it to be so flexible where teams have like 27 or 28 NHL players and they're hoarding them. That will not be allowed and I will be on top of teams' rosters. So if you, uh, put it this way, if you want to try streaming players in and out, I had, a, I had a few teams do that last year, you will be penalized and you will not like the penalties. So uh, if you want to try streaming, go for it, but I don't recommend it. It's 100% against our league rules. If you're wondering what streaming means... Uh, streaming basically means you're taking players from your minors, adding them to your NHL roster on days where they play, and then you put them back down to the minors when they don't play in exchange for NHL players that play that day. So it's basically a way to game the weekly matchup system to get more games played. Not fair, not legal uh, in accordance to our rules, and not something I will tolerate. Uh, roster limit compliance penalties. Uh, so... This is, a, this is an area that is uh, more or less meant to deal with teams that are the, like either aren't active or are just intentionally skirting the rules to try to gain uh, a competitive advantage. So if your team has, you know, if you're over the salary cap, if you're over the roster limit, if you're under the roster limit for an extended period of time, uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to start penalizing you after a certain period of time. I, I have a specific amount of days set out here in the constitution. I don't expect I'm ever going to get here. If teams are just not active and they're not setting lineups and they have issues with their rosters, I'll, I can deal with that. If it's actually someone trying to gain a competitive advantage, then it'll be taken care of relatively quickly. Um, in terms of tanking, uh, what do we consider tanking? Uh, or at least my definition for tanking is when a team leaves empty spots in their lineup when they had available healthy players to insert into the lineup. So if you've got, um, in, our in, our, in our league, we have three centers, three left wing, three right wing, four defense, 
a skater, which can be any forward or any defense, and then you have one goalie per night. So that comes out to, if I'm doing the math correctly, it's 15 players per night, which leaves you eight bench spots. If you had, let's say you had 18 of your players that were playing on a given night, but you only had 12 players in your lineup, that would be considered tanking. If you forget to set a lineup, that is that is different. Obviously, teams will forget to set their lineups occasionally. And I, even it, hap- it happened to me last year in the NHL. I got very busy with a few things last year. It You know, people get busy, things happen, but... Um, the nice thing about fan tracks is if you go to your, uh, if you go to your team roster page, there's actually a button that allows you to optimize your lineup for an entire week or two or three or however long you want it to optimize it for. Obviously it'll lose optimal, uh, the optimization, the optimization of the, the function only works, you know, if you are still paying attention every once in a while, because injuries will, will mess things up. But there are uh, features on fan tracks that make it so setting lineups isn't as big of a burden, especially if you're someone who can't check things daily. Alrighty. Uh, so age restriction restrictions for the for the prospects league. Uh, the prospects league just refers to the players that are in your minors. So you can have players in your minors that are 38 years old if they're in the AHL. That isn't against the rules. They just can't collect any points. Once a player turns 26, a skater or goalie turns 26, they lose prospect league eligibility, which means they just can't collect points. So if you put a player in your lineup who is 26 years of age, you will get a zero for that player. All right. Uh, so the salary cap is is designed to be the exact same as the NHL salary cap, uh, or at least the numbers. So the the cap is 83.5 million. The floor is 61.7 million. Uh, if you, if, after about five days of being non-cap compliant, that's when I will start to, you know, really force teams to get their, their, their crap sorted out. Otherwise, um, it's, you know, you're going to have times where you might go under the floor because of an injury. That's, that's honestly bound to happen, uh, especially for a few teams that will be rebuilding. That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll find ways to work that out. But um, in terms of teams going over the salary cap, that's more what I would worry about as a commissioner. Um, I also have some buyout rules that will make hitting the cap floor a lot easier. And I'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, Once again, with the salary cap. uh, So if people are wondering how salaries work, uh, you always get the player's real life cap hit. So if you go to cap friendly and you type in a player's name, you'll see their cap hit per year. That's the number that will be um, attributed to your team's salary cap. So uh, you won't be, like you're not on the hook for performances bon- or performance bonuses. You're not on the hook for any of the uh, interesting contractual language that you will see on some NHL contracts. You just pay the, the, the cap hit. So that pretty much covers most of the salary cap rules. I'm trying to think if there's anything I'm missing. Oh, kind of winging this right now. Uh, NHL daily lineups. Your daily lineup, three centers, three left wings, three right wings, four defense, a goalie, and a skater flex. Uh, For the prospect league lineup, you have three forwards, two defense, two skater, or sorry, two Euro skater flex. Uh, A good point uh, to make here would be the Euro skater flex would not apply to a player like Tom Willander or Villander, depends on how you want to say that. Uh, in Sweden, he's he's actually not in Sweden. He's going to be playing at Boston College, even though he's a Swedish defenseman. It's not too common to see uh, first-round draft picks from Sweden go to the NCAA right after they've been drafted. That's not that's definitely not common. Uh, with that being said, you can't use Tom Willander as a Euro skater flex. Uh, the whole point of adding the Euro flex was to basically uh, it's to diminish the chl heavy nature of the prospect league obviously if you're looking at points per game chl players are dominating if unless you're counting adam fantilli who is a borderline top you know five prospect in the last 10 years um it's not common to see an ncaa player put up numbers fantilli did that being said fantilli wasn't even available in the prospects league so didn't even get to see any of that value. Uh, in terms of setting your prospect league lineup, 
that is a weekly lineup. You set your, your lineup every Sunday or Saturday. Um, you can honestly set it whenever you can't set it whenever you want. It has to be set preferably by Sunday night. Uh, the reason for that is Russia is quite a bit ahead of us and their games on uh, Russia plays a lot on Mondays. Most Russian leagues have Monday games and their games start really early in the morning if you're in North America. So if you're starting or if you're setting your, your prospect league lineup at Monday night, there's a good chance you've already had some of your Russian players uh, play a game or play one game that week. So it, it wouldn't be fair to set a lineup or set a, put a player in a lineup that's already played a game. So I would ask that people set their lineups before Monday. Uh, you'll notice once you start uh, getting a hold of your prospect league sheets that I have set multiple lineup cards for multiple weeks so that teams can go ahead of time and they can see, you know, they can start setting their lineups way ahead of time. Um, one thing I've also added to the prospect league folders is a calendar. I wish I could fill out people's calendars with their prospect league schedules or with all their players' schedules, but uh, just doing that for the league, the first league I run is is going to is going to run me quite. Uh, it's going to run me a lot of time, so I I'm not going to be able to do that for everyone in Dynasty League 33 next season. That's something I'll look at doing, but uh, for now I can only do so much. So uh, if teams want to start entering in their own player schedules, I would highly recommend that. Once you start getting into the playoffs, it more or less becomes how many games played do I have like for each player during the week. You'll end up benching a really good CHL player during the playoffs because he only has two two games, and you'll end up putting a player in who's significantly worse just because he has four. Um, it happened. It happened to me last year. I put Matt Vipetrov on the bench for the finals. I still won by 90-some points, but, you know, I don't think I ever benched Petrov for the entire season until the last week of the season, until the, you know, the Calder Cup finals because he only played two games and I couldn't afford to have someone in my lineup that played two games. So while the CHL heavy nature is still, it's always going to be there. There's nothing we can do to uh, combat against that other than having, um, I don't, I forget the name of the word for this, but it's, we could, it's not staggered, but it's, it's, it's having points scored. So you give more points to, you know, players who score in Russia or players who score in the AHL than you would for the CHL. I would do that, but um, the issue there would be I'd have to individually change formulas for individual players depending on the league they're in. <laughs> and, uh, well, that would make the stat tracking fee, that would make the stat tracking fee $200 if I had to do that. So uh, we're going to keep, we're going to keep it as is right now because I can only do so much. But uh, maybe, maybe in the future when Fantrax decides to take this idea forward, then Maybe we can do that, but for now, uh, every single league, all prospects get scored the same way. Uh, NHL matchup scheduling. Teams play four opponents each week. Uh, it's randomized, so you end up playing... Most teams will play three matchups against some teams. They'll play two matchup, matchups against others. It makes me somewhat hesitant to have an NHL divisional prize because if you're not playing teams within your own division more, then what's the point? I'm more than happy to remove the NHL divisional prizes and reallocate the money somewhere else if people want to. Um, I've, I've, I like having divisions, and it's 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 a good way to you know structure the league, and it's I think it's the only way Fantrax will let you do it with 32 teams. You can name the divisions whatever you want, but you you generally have to have divisions. Um, otherwise, maybe I'll just have a 32 team league like a Premier League setup, but um, that's. That's a bit of a tangent there, but the uh, the idea with having divisional prizes is somewhat. I'm against getting rid of those. Uh, so back to scheduling. Yeah, you play four opponents each week. The all the opponents are random, so 84 matchups total in the season. the The regular season begins October 6th, and the NHL regular season ends March 10th. All right. Uh, we do end the playoffs a week and a half early. Uh, that is because, or at least from my last, from my other league, most people prefer to end seven to eight days before the regular season ends just to avoid uh, potential teams, you know, benching players late in the season or players taking a day off. There's a lot of, uh, we'll call it load management happening nowadays, and it's 
you want to try to avoid that. So we do end our uh, Stanley Cup final, I believe, on April 7th this year. But I, I might be wrong. I have to read. I have to check that. Um, prospect League scheduling. There's 21 weekly matchups. The season starts on uh, September 18th. That's Monday, September 18th. And it ends on Sunday, February 18th in 2024. There will be a, uh, once again, I'm going to hand out a uh, double fantasy points to prospects taking part in the World Junior Tournament. This was kind of comical last year because uh, there was one team that had just a bunch of guys on Team Canada and he ended up going from like 20th in the standings to 10th just because he scored 600 points in one, like two weeks. Um, (laughs) It it definitely adds an interesting element to the, the prospect league standings. But I, I think it just it's it's something I kind of thought of like, oh, what's something we can do to add interest to the World Juniors? Because I don't know about you guys, but I love the World Junior Tournament. It's one of my favorite, you know, yearly traditions during the Christmas season. And I oh, I can't imagine a life without the World Junior Tournament. So I want to try to elevate the the importance of that tournament. So, yeah, you get double points for any player in that tournament. Uh, the team with the highest score at the end of the two weeks, the two weekly matchups that take place during the during the tournament gets a $25 cash prize that could change depending on the league buy-in but 25 is what I have set up for my league oh my voice is slowly going uh the prospect league oh yeah I've already done that um prospect league scoring rules uh yeah so we've gone over most of this if you don't have NHL affiliation you cannot collect points in the prospect league so a good example would be um any any CHL player who doesn't have a contract, not eligible. Any 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 prospect that doesn't have NHL affiliation is just just not eligible. So if you pick up someone on fan tracks and they don't have an NHL team listed below them, they're not eligible. Uh, the leagues that we we allow players to be scored from, well, we have the AHL, the ECHL. I'm I'm on the fence about, but I will allow it because you tend to see goalies sent there for we'll call them conditioning stints or rehabilitation stints um so the echl is fair game you probably won't see many forwards there so if you can find one that's cool but you're not going to see too much value from the echl uh the chl obviously the the gold standard uh the ncaa the uca the ushl that pretty much covers all of north america i will not allow the ajhl or the bchl it's actually there's a few players that were drafted in 2023 that are potentially going to the bchl so i will allow that but they have to have affiliation that's that's the main that is the main thing for this league if they don't have nhl affiliation you can't roster them it's it's essentially like bringing in a ringer for softball that's that's how i would you know compare it uh, so for Europe, you've got the SHL, the J20 National, Hockey Allsvenskan that covers Sweden. Any Swedish league that has an NHL-affiliated prospect, as long as it's one of the top leagues. Um, so like the you, you'll see the U18 and the U20 leagues. I believe that's the J20 National. I'm not 100% sure. There's there's so many Swedish and Finnish leagues. But uh, yeah, so between Sweden, you've got the, the SHL, which is the pro league, the J20, which is the, the junior, and then the Allsvenskan, which is the the pro league below the SHL. Uh, for Russia, you've got the KHL, the MHL, and the VHL. For Finland, you have Liga, U20 SM Sarja, Mestis. Uh, I don't know if I said that right, but Methi. We have a Finnish guy in our league. He can he can laugh and he can correct me later. Um, <laughs> for for Switzerland, uh, there's the National League. There's the DEL, which is in Germany. You have Tipos Extraliga, which is, I believe, the Slovakian league. And then you have Tipsport Extraliga, which is the Czech league. I might have mixed those two up, but uh, you'll see Tipos and Tipsport. Pretty much uh, those are the Czech and the Slovakian leagues. So if uh, if you ever need to know which leagues are, are eligible, just go to the Constitution, and I have all that written down. The scoring setup. All right. Uh, one of the things I wanted with the scoring setup, I wanted... One thing I really wanted was I wanted centers to have true value in, in a league. I don't like when centers aren't elevated slightly. By that, like obviously the top centers who take 700 or, or win 700 faceoffs a year, that will that will add value in a league that 
counts faceoff wins, which we do. We give a tenth of a point. Um, but what we, you'll really notice the value spike for players like uh, you know Jean Gabriel Pajot, Scott Scott Lawton. I have to say Lawton. I always say Lafton, and that is that is not correct. Um, the third line centers, even fourth line centers, if they take enough faceoffs, if they kill penalties, there is some value there, which is why if you're in the startup draft, you might want to prioritize centers because they do end up they they do end up providing solid value even if they don't necessarily have the best offensive season. So to go over the entire scoring setup, goals are worth five points, assists are worth four points, shots on goal are worth half a point. Power play points, I currently have it goal and assist. They're both worth one. Uh, shorthanded goals, shorthanded assists, both worth two. A block shot is worth half a point. A hit is worth a quarter of a point. I did have a few people try to see if we could do half a point for hits, but um, it just messes up value for defensemen. And I keeping it at a quarter of a point is definitely where it's going to stay. Uh, face-off wins gets you a tenth of a point, and face-off losses get you negative 0.05. Goalies, for every save, you get uh, a third of a point. Actually, that's that's not true. It's it's 0.30, not 0.33. So you get, you get uh, you know, 0.3. Uh, a goal allowed is negative one. A win is four. Shutout, you get five points. I did and I'm glad I did it. I include I do include goalie goals and goalie assists. It doesn't happen often, but last year you had Linus Allmark get a goal, which was worth ten, and you did have uh, you had Kochetkov. He scored a goal in the AHL last year during a prospect league playoff matchup, and it ended up knocking out the number one seed. So it might seem dumb to include goalie goals, but when it does happen, you're going to be really happy you get those ten points. So. That's a little aspect that I really do like about my scoring setup. All right, on to the blind bid system. Uh, teams will be given $100 of blind bid budget every season. Uh, if you're wondering what does this mean, any players that aren't drafted during the NHL draft or the prospect draft go into free agency. Uh, I'm not a fan of waivers. I It's kind of like a first-come, first-serve format, and I don't really like those formats. Um it, it tends to end up just being who's the worst team in the league or who has the first priority. And I, I don't really understand it and I don't particularly like it for fantasy. Uh, what I do prefer is giving everyone a budget of $100 and three times a week you have a chance to pick up players. You use your $100 budget to bid for the player. And if you bid the highest amount of money, you get the player and their contract. How is the tiebreaker set up for bids? Uh, teams or sorry, the team who is lowest in the standings gets the bid or gets the gets the tiebreaker. So the only issue that I have with this is in the in the offseason, Fantrax randomizes the standings. So every time you refresh your roster, you'll be, you know, one time you'll be 27th. If you refresh, then you'll be third in the standings. In the offseason, it does create some problems, and I will have to work with Fantrax to get that fixed. But I will be getting that fixed because it's caused way too many problems. Or at least I think it's caused some problems, and I'm I'm a, I'm a little afraid to see how many it actually did cause. Uh, so teams uh, teams will be replenished. They'll they'll have their their bid money replenished every single season. So if you use your entire one hundred dollar budget in the first year, you'll get that hundred dollars back next season. If you use none of your money, you'll have the hundred dollars added on. So you'll you'll end up having two hundred dollars next season. The most you can have at any given time is $200. I'd rather avoid teams just hoarding blind bid money and then, you know, using it to trade for players or using an absurd amount to do things. It's 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 meant to be like a... It's a way to supplement your roster when you need it. Occasionally, you will end up getting a player like Raphael Harvey-Pinard. It happened last year in my league. Someone got a gem of a player really late in the season. And now that's a that's a pretty decent roster piece now so occasionally you will get a solid player but it's not going to happen often uh, any player who is all right i skipped a few parts here uh, teams can begin bidding on nhl and prospect free agents starting july 1st so this is for the offseason um, that'll be standard for every offseason moving forward our free agency starts july 1st a player who is released uh, he will be locked for being bid uh, there'll be a lock on bidding on that player for 24 hours the reason for that is 
if you dropped a player, um, so something to go over is bids are processed at 10 a.m. Eastern time. That's 10 a.m. Eastern is kind of the standard time we use for, for things in the league. Um, so if bids go through at 10 a.m. Eastern, let's say I dropped a player at 9.30. If you didn't have that one day where they were locked, teams could then say, oh, he's available. And then 30 minutes later, th- that player is on a team's roster. We're trying to avoid it being a first come first serve for free agency for just about anything. So um, in this case, a player would be locked for 24 hours. And once that 24 hour period ends, they are eligible to be bid on and then would be processed after the next bidding period. Uh, bidding periods, so they're, they're processed three times a week. Uh, so bids are processed Mondays, Thursdays, and Saturdays at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, bid processing frequency and the dates will change during the off season. Uh, this is mostly because GMs go on vacation. Summer vacations are, you know, it's pretty standard. Teams, you know, people go away. I'm not going to have free agency happen when everyone is enjoying, you know, Canada Day or the American Long Weekend. It just, we, we have to be fair and... Uh, the off season tends to be a little bit slower with uh, with player movement and with with bids, so that's expect some changes in the off season for how how things are processed. But that's that's for later on. Uh, the minimum you can bid is one dollar. There's no there's no dollar or there's no cents added. You can't do a dollar fifty. You can't do a dollar ninety nine. It's just one dollar increments, and the lowest you can bid is a dollar. So. Here's a really interesting part. Uh, once a player signs an entry-level contract with an NHL team, they are eligible to be bid on. So you'll see a lot of CHL players who weren't drafted. Uh, a player I keep an eye on, like Coach Adelic, Brady Stonehouse. There's a few names you should really be keeping an eye on in the in the uh, CHL that I would be pretty... I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them get entry-level contracts at some point during the year. I don't know why Brady Stonehouse wasn't drafted in the last two years. That's really surprising to me i can't figure that out so uh, once a player signs their entry-level contract they become eligible to bid on so you really got to be paying attention to um, one thing i would just recommend check cap friendly every single day the home page of cap friendly will show when players sign contracts uh, so for a good example jeremy biaka butuka biaka butuka uh, his father played uh, for the carolina panthers as a running back if i'm not mistaken he played um, He played about four or five years in the QMJHL. Looked really good at Detroit Red Wings training camp for a few years, but never got an NHL deal. He just recently signed with St. Louis. Could not be happier for him. Uh, in my other league, Toronto snatched him up really, really, really quick. And because nobody was checking cap friendly for a few days, he got him for $1. That's, you really got to be on top of things. And, uh, yeah, that's one of the that's one of the beauties of this league. Trades. Every trade requires a 24-hour waiting period before it is approved and executed. Um, if I'm being completely honest, some of these trade rules we can change for this league. The reason the trade rules are the way they are currently is because we had some absolutely horrifyingly bad trades go down in my league last year. It's the reason we have a salary cap now. Um, which the salary cap was an, it was a very nece- like it was incredibly necessary. Even even if those trades didn't happen, not having a salary cap in a 32 team dynasty league is just a recipe for disaster. I could only imagine like teams would have been leaving because Buffalo uh, in my league last year had just an outrageously good squad, and he he never would have had to trade or he never would have had to move any of his players if there wasn't a salary cap. All he had to do was just trade first round picks to keep getting good talent to fill the bottom of his roster. And he would have been set for 10, 20, like 10 to 15 years. We definitely, you definitely need a salary cap. And uh, so some of the trade rules are more or less based around my other league, but um, the 17 votes to, to uh, the 17 veto votes to, uh, to cancel a deal. I'm not sure if we're going to use that in this league. I, I, kind of have to wait to see how things go and how people want things to be run after last year i would rather not have trades be vetoed unless it's obvious collusion or like a league breaking trade if you're trading connor mcdavid for you know connor clifton that's a league breaking trade that shouldn't happen 
That being said, I want teams to be able to make their own mistakes. I want teams to be able to make dumb decisions. That's part of hockey. That's part of life. Tom Wilson just got a seven-year deal. It's pretty well proof positive of that. So um, I would rather not have every single trade go through a veto process, but I can understand the reasoning for it. Um, Moving on, teams can only retain 50% of a player's salary in trade. That's pretty standard. Uh, anyone who's played NHL GM mode, that's you've, you've probably seen that before. You can retain less than 50%. You can retain any percentage you really want. It just can't be over 50. Uh, once a trade is sent, the team sending the trade can only back out of the deal if they cancel the trade before the proposed team accepts. Um, this is a bit of a, I added this after a, a snafu happened where you know a team sent a trade they forgot to add a bunch of assets and the other team accepted right away because they were getting the deal of a lifetime it was obviously a mistake we ended up undoing the deal but it's something you you want to be sure of a trade before you send it like make sure the assets you're sending out are the assets you're and the assets you're receiving are what you agreed upon previously if you're sending out a trade without negotiating it beforehand uh, if you you can't cancel the deal after it's been accepted, that's I would not recommend sending trades without negotiating beforehand. It's not a great practice to get in the habit of. Of course, sometimes you'll just you know you just want to see the value or you want to see how a team values a player. And I'm not going to say don't do it, but I wouldn't recommend it. Always uh, always try to negotiate your deals beforehand, at least that way. So, you know, if you make a mistake, you can go back and say, this is the agreed upon framework. I made a mistake. Can we go back and fix it? I don't, you know, I'm not going to be a dick and say, you can't go back and fix a trade that you obviously made a mistake on. And by a mistake, I mean, you didn't add assets. A mistake isn't, I made a horrible trade. No, a mistake is I traded, you know, a fifth round pick or I traded a first round pick and all I got was a fifth in return. Like that's clearly a mistake. And we kind of had something like that happen in my league where it was obviously not how it was supposed to be, but eh, problems happen, things happen, mistakes happen. We try to be fair to everyone. All right. Um, The consolation brackets. Oh, this is definitely one of the parts of the league I'm actually proud of. Um, I don't like tanking. I've made that clear. I don't necessarily I hate lotteries I think lotteries are the just the stupidest thing in sports um, you know as much as the NFL teams will outright tank their rosters I'm a fan of the Jags I'm really happy they tanked for a year and got Trevor Lawrence because if they didn't have Trevor Lawrence they'd have Zach Wilson probably and uh, that that would be horrifying so you know in the NFL the team that finishes last gets the first pick I don't necessarily like that concept either though if i'm being completely honest with you because it more or less incentivizes making your team as bad as humanly possible Uh, in this league you have to kind of balance being really bad while also being good enough to at least beat you know two other teams that are similarly as bad Uh, so let me go through this quickly Uh, there's four consolation brackets that occur after or during the dynasty league 33 nhl playoffs so once the first round of the playoffs happens, all the teams that don't make the playoffs go into four separate consolation brackets. The teams that finish from 29 to 32 in the league, they all play for picks one to four. The teams that finish 25 to 28, they play for picks five to eight. Teams that finish 21 to 24 in the standings fight for picks nine to 12. And teams that finish 17 to 20 in the regular season standings fight for picks 13 to 16. How do we dole out the actual picks? Well, um, within each consolation bracket, you play two matchups. If you win your first matchup, you go into the winner's circle to get either the best pick in the, in the bracket or the second best pick in the bracket. If you lose your first matchup, you either get the lowest pick in the bracket or the second lowest pick in the bracket. So how would this work for the number one overall pick? Um, the team that finishes 29th overall would play 32nd overall, and the team that plays places 30th overall would play 31st overall the winners would go to fight for picks one and two the losers play for picks three and four so in essence you have to be bad enough to finish in the bottom four but you have to be good enough that you can actually win a weekly matchup 
the reason I instituted this setup was, yeah, I don't like lotteries. I don't like just the worst team gets the pick. And I think it was also, we were in a year where there was legitimately a, like there was a grand prize. Like Connor Bedard is a humongous prize. And I knew there were going to be teams that genuinely were going to fight to finish last. And uh, what ended up happening was the teams that were at the bottom of the standings, they actually became buyers at the trade deadline because they all recognized we don't have enough firepower or we don't even have enough bodies to win a weekly matchup right now. Like the team that got the first pick, Montreal, they have a great roster now actually because they just had a million injuries and you know they won the matchups easily in the finals because all their players got healthy at the right time. They made a few good trades to pick up some talent and they just managed to squeak into the final four bracket and they ended up winning it pretty easily. They then managed to deal Connor Bedard and get a million amazing assets for him. So you can you can change your fortunes in this league really quickly. You can, you know, you can blow up your team really quickly if you want. The whole point of this league is you can run your team however you want. And if you decide you want to blow it up and start from the bottom, you actually have something to do for three to four years while your team rebuilds. It's not just, you know, don't even bother setting lineups and just, you know, maybe check it once a week. No, like you, you're actually going to be paying attention because you've got prospects that you're really, you know, you want to have the best prospects possible if you want to win the prospect league. So um, the playoffs uh, division winners get the top four seeds in both leagues. The tiebreaker is head to head and then points scored. Uh, seeds five to 16 are determined by regular season standing. Uh, the tiebreaker is head to head and then points scored. Uh, every playoff round is reseeded. So if, uh, you know, if nine through 16, you know, all win their first round matchups, then nine would become essentially the number one seed and so forth. Uh, wow. Keep going here. Uh, prizes. We did go over prizes already. Uh, so we're getting into the really meaty parts now of the, of the constitution, the buyouts. Uh, so this is something that might be different than other leagues people are in. I'm going to go over a few things here because if you listen really carefully, there's going to be a few teams that are going to pick up some players that, you know, okay, I'll get there in a minute. Uh, so dead cap spots, a dead cap spot is something a team acquires when they trade a player while retaining a portion of that player's salary, or if they buy out a player's contract. You can't have more than three dead cap spots on your roster at any given time. So uh, the buyout eligibility, any player with a cap hit above 1 million is subject to league buyout rules. Players on two-way deals, which means you can, a two-way deal would re usually refer to a player that um, is either developing in the AHL or is more, more or less like an AHL lifer kind of player. These players can be sent up and down from the NHL to the minors without you know, uh, without going through waivers, without, you know, any of the issues that, you know, you would face if you dropped a player, like, you know, if, if Edmonton wanted to drop Connor Bedard to the AHL, every single team in the NHL would have a chance to, to pick him up on waivers. Obviously Edmonton would never do that, but with two-way players, if you wanted to demote him from the NHL team, you don't have to worry about another team stealing that player. So for those players on two-way deals, you can, you can buy out those players' contracts, you can release them at any point, and you're not stuck dealing with a, you know, with a dead cap spot on your roster. Uh, same thing for anyone on an entry-level deal. You can buy out those players. You don't have to worry about a buyout or a, a dead cap spot. And uh, the same also goes for any player making less than $1 million per season. We don't want to penalize teams if they want to drop a, you know, like a Drew O'Connor who's got two years left on a deal at like nine seventy-five. dollars that's, that's kind of petty. <coughs> all right uh, buyout structuring this is the part that you really want to pay attention to because this is more or less how buyouts work when buying out a player's contract in season a team can either structure the buyout over one year or they can spread it out over the entire duration of the contract so we use brendan gallagher as an example brendan gallagher as of right now has four years remaining on his contract each year, his cap hit is six and a half million. If you times that six and a half million time or by four years, the total contract value is 26 million. 
If I want to buy out Brendan Gallagher, I'm responsible to pay 50% of the total remaining contract value. The total remaining contract value is 26 million. So I'm responsible for 13 million of that contract in, in the form of a dead cap spot. So I'm giving teams two ways to structure their buyouts. You can do it in a one year lump sum dead cap hit, or you can spread it out equally over the remainder of the contract. So if you did it in a lump sum, you'd pay that 13 million in one year. At the end of the season, that comes off your books, it's over. If you wanted to spread it out equally, it'd be 3.250 million or three and a quarter million over the span of four years. Why have I chosen to do that, to do this? Well, if a team is contending and they wanted to buy out Brendan Gallagher and they had you know six or seven million in space, they would probably choose the four-year dead cap hit because it would allow them to keep the roster as is they would end up losing three and a quarter million from their salary cap, but it would give them the flexibility to, you know, get rid of a player they don't want and maybe add a better player for, you know, who's a similar contract or a similar cap hit. Like he could be a similar 3 million cap hit, but he could be double or triple the production of Brendan Gallagher. Or he could just simply be playing, unlike Brendan Gallagher. Um, the one-year dead cap hit, this is meant for teams who are either retooling or full-on rebuilding and are struggling to hit the salary cap floor. I am in that predicament right now in my league. I have been picking up bad contracts after you know, pretty much dealing off all my good players. I have a million different players on ELCs right now, and I don't have many players on big contracts. So the one-year dead cap hit is a way to essentially inflate your team's salary without actually having to have anyone taking a roster spot. So if you wanted to add 13 million to your team's salary cap total, you could do that for the season. So once the year, once the season begins, um, I'm going to name a player here that has no value in fantasy, but he has value in terms of um, team building for our league. That would be Carey Price. He has... Uh, it's three years left at 10.5 million. So that's a 31.5 million total. You divide that by two, that's uh, 16, that's uh, 15 and 15.75, about 15 and three quarter million for one year. If you build a team with a bunch of cheap contracts and you're nowhere near the salary cap floor and you want to artificially inflate your team's salary, you can do it for a year. Um, and I'm realizing that some people are probably thinking this sounds ridiculous, but let's say you uh, let's say you pick up a player like uh, I'm trying to think of a good example here of a player that signed a contract. It was decent at the beginning and it turned horrible by the end. Like Tom Wilson's a probably he, he can be a good example. Let's say you have Tom Wilson. You keep that contract going into next season. He's good for three years, but then after three years, He's doing nothing. So you've got four years left and you're paying him six and a half million a year. So if four times six and a half, that's 26 million. So you'd have the same basically setup with Tom Wilson as you would with Brendan Gallagher. If you wanted to buy out, you know, Tom Wilson. If you're a team that is re, you know, if you're contending, the one year, the one year lump sum probably won't work for you in most scenarios. But if your team is you know, getting older and you say, I need to retool and I need to retool quickly, what you can do is you can buy out a player for one year, essentially say, I'm, I'm just punting the year because of this contract. Like I, I can't, I don't want to hold, I don't want a four-year dead cap hit. I just want to get rid of it in one year. You buy out the contract, you take on that 13 or whatever crazy number it's going to be. And you essentially take a year and you try to get as many assets as possible to retool. I think teams will end up realizing the one-year lump sum has a lot of value in terms of team building. It just has to be used in the right scenario for it to really work. Um, one thing that I have not yet uh, mentioned is teams are limited to one lump sum buyout per league year. When I was first coming up with the concept of the, the buyout system, um, I thought to myself, I should just buy out carry price in a lump sum Brendan Gallagher in a lump sum, and then maybe one other guy. And I can probably get 40 million in dead cap spot or dead cap space on my team's roster. I can completely punt the year and have a crappy team 
and do it with no salary. And it, it seemed like a good idea. And then I thought, nah, this is really, really, really slimy, especially considering I'm the commissioner. <laughs> so I thought, nah, this is a horrible idea. But what I recognized was if I'm thinking this, other teams are also going to think this. So that is why we are limiting the lump sum buyout uh, to once per league year. Lump sum buyouts, they sh I want them to be executed within the first week of the league season. Uh, the point of it is not to trade your entire team late in the season and then, uh, you know, oh, I don't have enough money now. I'm going to go pick up Carey Price and then buy him out. No, it's if you're going to do that, it's got to be done at the beginning of the season. And it's an acknowledgement that, yeah, like we need the money to, to get over the cap and this is our way of doing it. It's If teams don't like it, we can always talk about maybe making some adjustments, but uh, nobody in my other league seems to have any issues with the current rules. And I, I think they're, they, they give teams enough flexibility to really build their rosters however they want. And it really gives teams the flexibility to change course and not, you know, it doesn't have to take, you know, four or five years to 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 deal with the the ramifications of having a bad contract on your team and buying it out. So uh, accepting in-season contract extensions, uh, this part is definitely interesting. So if a team signs a, or if a player signs a contract in the middle of a season, so let's say, um, you know, you sign a contract early in the, in the season and it doesn't come into effect until July 1st, that contract is not, or you're not expected to make a decision on that contract until close to July 1st. So, sorry, I'm trying to trying to find the wording here to make this right. So, uh, players that get, you know, if you get, oh, wow, I'm really, really twisted here. So, if, if a player signs a deal in the middle of the season, and that deal does not come into effect until July 1st, you have to make a decision on that contract by July 1st. If you want to keep that contract, you just keep it. Nothing happens. The world keeps turning. If you decide this contract is horrible, I don't want anything to do with this. You can either drop the contract to free agency and lose it and lose the player for nothing, or you can find a trade partner and try to gain some of your value back. Any contract that's signed in the off season, oh my dog is just going to town on his water bowl right now. Um, any team or any player that signs a contract during the off season. So that would be a player like Jonathan Taves or Vladimir Tarasenko. You don't have to make a, a decision on that contract until Labor Day. Uh, so that would give teams around a month and a half to two months to make a decision on, am I keeping this contract that was just signed during the offseason? Uh, so same kind of concept goes. If you, if you want to make a trade to get rid of the player and get some value back, you can do that. If not, you can release the player for no penalty, but you do lose the player for for nothing, which is essentially the penalty. Uh, so the free agency periods, the first free agency period starts July 1st and the second period starts on Labor Day. So those are both of the dates where you have to decide whether or not you are keeping a contract extension. Uh, salary retention. A team can retain a portion of a player's salary in a trade. The maximum that anyone can retain is 50% of the value of the contract. The 50% value will be turned into a dead cap spot for the remainder of the contract. You, a team can only retain three players at any given time. So if you've, you know, if you've retained three contracts, as long as you are retaining money on those deals, you can only have three of those at any given time. So a salary cap retention counts as a dead cap spot the same way a buyout would count towards a dead cap spot. Uh, a player who had salary retained in a previous trade cannot have their salary retained again in a future trade. Contracts can only be reduced once via salary retention. Um, if, a, if a team retains a portion of a player's salary in a trade, that team will be given a dead cap hit if that player has their contract bought out during the remainder of the contract. So if I traded Connor McDavid to the Toronto Maple Leafs and I retained half of his contract, and then Toronto decided to buy out Connor McDavid because, I don't know, he, he went to jail. Um, I would be on the hook for a portion of that buyout penalty. Uh, so if I retained 50% of the salary, I'd be responsible for 50% of the buyout penalty. If I retained 20% of the salary, I would be responsible for 50 or 20% of the, the, the buyout penalty. So it's, hey, muffler. Hey, what are you doing? 
my, my dog is having fun right now. Um, the rookie draft. Uh, so rookie drafts, uh, the only, oh, here we go. I think I don't, oh yeah. Teams will be allotted five drafts pick drive, five draft picks per season. Uh, there will be, I'm going to allow teams to have two years of draft picks going into the startup draft. If you do trade future draft picks, I, I would ask you pay future league buy-ins. I have been lenient with this in the past and it has bit me in the ass. So I, I, I really want to try to enforce it. If you are going to go ahead and trade all of your future draft capital, you better be prepared to pay the buy-in for those seasons. I've, it just, it just causes way too many problems if and when people decide they want to leave. All right. Uh, replacing owners. This is more or less nitty gritty stuff, but if, uh, if, you know, if you're causing massive problems in the league discord, or if you're, you know, tanking, you know, going over the salary cap and not fixing your roster, any, any con conduct that is extremely detrimental to the league, I will look to replace you. I will, I will always be honest. I will always give teams a chance to fix their issues or, you know, turn course. I had some issues with teams in my other league last year. I'm, I'm on very good terms with them all now. You know, as long as you're honest with people and you try to deal with things in a straightforward manner, you generally don't have big issues. But um, I will, I, I, I would ask that people at least be respectful in the in the comments in dis, in the Discord. We're all just having fun here. This is the purpose of it. If this was anything more, I'd be charging, you know, two hundred dollars. Like I said, I'm, this is meant to be fun. I do this because it's a lot of fun and I think other people would also find it to be a lot of fun. And that's the main reason I wanted to share this with everyone. So uh, I think I've covered pretty much everything today uh, here in this podcast. I apologize if I haven't been entirely clear on certain things. I, I find it much easier to be clear when I'm just thinking, you know, thinking about things in my head as opposed to actually speaking into a microphone. So if I, if I haven't been clear on certain aspects of the, the constitution, please, please message me or, you know, bring it up in the, in the discord. I'm, I'm more than happy to listen to any, you know, criticism or any ideas or just ways to improve the league. It's we've only, or I've only been doing this for one year. This is going to be my second season being a, a fantasy hockey commissioner, let alone a fantasy hockey commissioner of something this, you know, this crazy. So there's always ways to improve. There's always things I can do better. Don't hesitate to criticize or don't hesitate to, you know, point out where I'm doing something wrong. Nobody's perfect. I, I'm, I'm definitely not. I make a fair amount of mistakes and I try to, I try to own them when I make them and I try to, you know, make sure they don't happen in the future, but I'm always going to make mistakes. If you'll get to know me pretty well in the next few months and you'll, you'll kind of understand <laughs> what kind of person I'm like, but, uh, I, I do make my fair share of mistakes in, in terms of just, you know, running leagues and in terms of dealing with people. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a perfect human being. So uh, I definitely need people to bear with me, but I think this league can be special and, and I know it can because I've, you know, I've already run one for a year that I, I think is pretty special. So if, uh, if, if you guys are willing to put in the work and if you're willing to put in the effort, I think this league can be, you know, as great as we want it to be. So uh, for that, this is the uh, this will be the end of the episode tonight, and I hope everyone uh, takes a listen to this. And uh, I hope I hope at least I was somewhat clear and concise in in uh, providing information on the league. So uh, have a great night, folks.